Take your Bibles, if you would, tonight and turn to Isaiah chapter 55. Isaiah chapter 55, where this isn't the text, but it is something. I just want to mention something before we get started tonight. Isaiah 55, verses 10 through 11. We're going to take a look at that, and then we're going to turn uh, eventually, and I'll remind you of this, but over to the book of Luke chapter 16. So, Anyway, Isaiah chapter 55. Now, as you're turning there, um, I just want to once again remind you, next Wednesday night, Brother Chapman's going to be preaching for us and sharing his ministry. And again, Brother Chapman hasn't been here in a number of years, but again, doing a tremendous job in the, the, the area of Moldova and then also down in Africa as well. And as a matter of fact, he's, he's going to be re- removing himself from the Moldovan work and allowing some of the men and uh, women that he's already put in place there in leadership to continue with that ministry while he focuses his attention on uh, Africa. And again, uh, doing a, a tremendous work, really. I mean, really, an amazing work in both areas, and you're not going to want to miss him. Uh, he's very capable, has been very competent, and very uh, just successful as the Lord's used him in a very mighty way. And again, you'll, you'll enjoy his preaching, you'll enjoy uh, the update, and you will be inspired and encouraged by him, I promise you that. And so next Wednesday night, we'll look forward to hearing from him, and I hope his wife will be with him. I haven't gotten 100% confirmation on that, but we'll look forward to meeting him, and hopefully his wife as well. His children are grown up at this point, but uh, uh, the two of them hopefully will be here together Wednesday night. We'll look forward to hearing from them. And then uh, 93,000 so far in our missions, that's good. And we're excited about that. Boy, when that number came in Sunday night, I was so glad we got it. And uh, we're going to go ahead and we'll leave it open a a few more weeks before we put in our bulletin for our final goal. Because we always know there's a few uh, cards that come in a little later than normal, whether it's because of illness or uh, vacations, whatever it might be, people out of town. And so another week or so, and then we'll go ahead and put the final number in and we'll begin to build our uh, missions uh, uh, portfolio, so to speak, identify exactly how many other missionaries we're going to take on which at this point it appears we'll take on more than four now, and that's good. And so we'll take more than four there, plus we can uh, continue to move forward with our plan with the uh, Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria as well. So we're excited about that. And um, boy, the Lord's blessed, and we're, we're really, really, really looking forward to what God's going to do there. And then let me just mention this. If you're interested, or if you would be interested, in, or ever thought about teaching an adult class here at Community Baptist Temple, I would like to meet with you next Sunday night after the service. Um, I have, want to quickly outline my plan to prepare and equip those for that ministry. So if you're interested in that, and I mean you may not have any, uh, you may never have taught a Sunday school class in your life here at Community Baptist Temple. That's all right. If you're interested in teaching adults and you'd like to uh, cons- if you find out what's entailed and what's going to be required of you as you move forward and how you're going to be trained and taught, uh, then by all means, if you would um, meet with me next Sunday night after the service, and uh, again, you know, you may not want to follow through with uh, the coursework that I'm going to provide, but I'm just saying if you're interested, at least try to find out what it will take to eventually end up in that position. I am convinced that, you know, we need to do something a little different in our ministry as we move forward because uh, one of the things is that if you're going to, say, say a young man wants to be an engineer, He's 18 years old. He graduates high school. He has no more qualification to be an engineer than the man on the moon. What's he do? He goes to college, doesn't he? He spends four years in college and he learns all the book work. And then he goes to a job because he's done all the book work. They say, we'll take a chance on him now. 
We'll take a chance on her. We'll take a chance on him. Why? Because they followed through and finished their education. And then they get into the real work. Well, I believe that, you know, you may not feel that you are educated enough. You may not feel that you're capable of teaching adults, but... You know, and, and, and the truth is, is that that's something more than just having an education. Just because somebody has four years of college doesn't mean they're the best equipped for the job either, by the way. Okay, I'm just, I'm not, I just want you to understand, but, but there are some minimum requirements. If you're going to be an engineer, you have to have a four-year degree. My brother told me he's an engineer, at least he was. Now he's a Ph.D. and he teaches doctoral courses down some college. He used to tell me, he'd say, Mark, listen, he'd say, um, four years in college... Honestly, I'd have never had to take those four years in college. I could have went to the job, and within two years, I'd have known everything I need to know. He says, but you can't get in the door unless you have the four years of college. Because it says something about your level of commitment. It says something about your dedication, about your desire, and about your character. Well, I want to put a thing in place to where we can address all those issues. And be in a position where we can have the kind of adult leaders that ultimately will have already put forth an effort and will know that that's only going to be an effort that they're going to continue, okay? And so I want you to know that you don't have to be a brain surgeon or a rocket scientist to be an adult teacher at Community Baptist Temple, but you will need to follow through with the requirements that I'm going to put forth. So if you would, uh, by all means, please join us. If you're even remotely interested, just to find out what's going to be required, and uh, I'll, I'll, I think you'll enjoy maybe the challenge ahead, and uh, we'll see where it goes, okay? So uh, I just want you to know, you're, you have opportunities here at Community Baptist Temple. Whether you take those opportunities is up to you, okay? Uh, so we're going to give you a chance to do some things, and uh, like I say, um, we'll see where it goes from there. All right, uh, I'm excited about it. I really am. I've been working on this. Uh, I, well, I've had this on my heart for at least three or four years now. And so, uh, finally, we're going to put it in place. I decided just to unveil it, so we're going to do it. So, starting next Sunday night, I'll give you some ideas of what we're thinking about. Not what I'm thinking about, but what I want. And then we'll go from there and see where we're at with it, all right? So, I would love to have you join us if you're interested at all. We'll go ahead and meet in the... uh, Tell you what we'll do. We'll meet... uh, Well, we're going to have to meet. We can't meet upstairs because of the uh, practices going on. Sunday night after service, we'll just meet, uh, we'll meet back in that room over there, okay? We'll meet back there, all right? Okay, very good. And if that's a problem for you, let me know and I'll work something out for you, okay? Maybe get a private showing, okay? Don't think you're going to get that, uh, some of you guys now, okay? Be careful. Some of you, I think you deserve a private showing already. Okay, so anyway, that's what we got going. All right, here we are. Look at this passage real quick, would you? It says in chapter 55, verse 10 through 11, it says, For as the rain cometh down, and the snow from heaven, and returneth not thither, but watereth the earth, and maketh it bringeth forth, and bud, that it may give seed to the sower, and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing where to I sent it. I share that verse tonight. It just came to my mind before I got up here. I think it's important that we understand that when we address and we share God's word, it's really, as we said, his word. And, and we're very safe when we share his word. 
Because his word, the Bible says, as he put it, shall not return unto me void. When it goes out, it's going to come back to him and it's going to accomplish what he intended it to. And I think that's important. So any verse in the Bible, any scriptures of the, the, the word of God that go forth will accomplish what God intended it to. It'll go back to him and it won't be void. It'll, it'll accomplish what he intended it to. Tonight I want to address a subject that is not a pleasant subject. I want to touch on an issue that's not very uh, popular today. And yet, I believe tonight that it's something that we need to hear about. But it is something that I'm confident that will not return void tonight. Because as much as we don't like to address this issue or hear anything about it, it is something that we need to be familiarized with and we need to be um, confronted with on a regular basis. So let's take our Bibles, look at Luke chapter 16. Someone says, well, I already know all this stuff. That's all right. His word won't return void. It'll accomplish what he intended it to. It'll be all right. We'll, We'll get through it and we'll be all right. And again, it's not like I'm going to bust on you or anything. I'm not doing that tonight. I'm just, uh, I'm just going to be sharing some scriptures about a place called hell. It's not something we like to talk about. It's not something that I looked forward to talking about. And it's not really as powerful of a, it's not really a message I'm going to share with you tonight. I just want to share some thoughts with you tonight about that place. I have a message I'll probably share with you maybe in the next month or so. And then we'll preach a little bit. But right now, I just want to share some thoughts with you. We're just coming out of our missions conference month, and, you know, we're dealing with, you know, the need to get the gospel around the world, and, you know, why? One of the great reasons, as we mentioned, obviously the most important is we want to honor and magnify the Lord who is worthy. But boy, let me tell you something. There's a hell to shun. And it's a place that's as real as the place we're in tonight. Let's go ahead and look at Luke chapter 16, a very familiar passage tonight, one that we're probably uh, have heard preached and taught a number of times. We're not going to dwell on this passage tonight. But it just says, there was a certain rich man in verse 19, which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. Luke 16, 19, now verse 20, there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, which was laid at his gates full of sores. Desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table, moreover the dogs came and licked his sores. Came to pass that the beggar died, don't we all? And was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died, don't we all? And was buried. And in hell he lift up his eyes, being in torments, And see Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom, and he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water, and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. Without going into great detail, let me just say that prior to Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, there was a place called, if you will, paradise, or Abraham's bosom. Again, a hell as we've saw referred to, but a place also called Abraham's bosom. The Bible says that the two were divided by a gulf. And so on one side, we had Abraham's bosom. On the other side, we had hell. 
And so it was divided by a gulf. One could not get from one side to the other. You were either in hell or you were in Abraham's bosom. You were either in so-called paradise, being cared for, taken care of, enjoying the fruit of your labor on earth, or you were there in hell being tormented by a flame. And that's as simple as it is. The Bible teaches that after Jesus Christ resurrected, this paradise section no longer existed because there was no need for it anymore. Because the final, the perfect, the necessary sacrifice was made so now mankind could be in the presence of God who's holy. But the hell compartment still exists. Now, the Bible goes on to tell us that hell will be cast into what's called the lake of fire. And so this place called hell is not the eternal place that we refer to or speak about when we think about the eternal damnation of souls. But that does not mean somehow that those that are in hell will escape hell even for a moment. Some have said possibly they'll stand before God in judgment and then be cast headlong into hell. But the Bible somehow implies that hell itself will be cast into the lake of fire, which means no one in hell will escape the flame but only enter into the lake of fire. Amen. And that's what... If you would ask me my view or how I believe the Scriptures teach, I don't see anything but that. Someone says, well, but, but don't they deserve to be judged? Well, let's be honest. In the book of John, chapter 3, verse 18, the Bible says that if we don't believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, we are what? Condemned already. Already judged. So nonetheless, now we see this place. It's called hell here in Luke chapter 16. We know later on we're going to see it named the lake of fire. But I want to talk about hell. I want to talk about, if you will, that place of eternal damnation. I want to talk to you a little bit about that place. And I'm going to use the word hell to refer to that fiery inferno, that place where people will spend an eternity. Because that's where it begins for us if we do not know Christ. That's where it begins for your loved ones. That's where it begins for your mother, your father. That's where it begins for your son, your daughter. That's where it begins for your wife, your, your husband. That's where it begins for your aunt and your uncle. That's where it begins for everyone and anyone that you care about or love is a place called hell. If they do not know Jesus Christ as their Savior. So let's ask ourselves some questions. How is hell described and what does the Bible say about it? Well, number one, hell was prepared for the devil and his angels, not the human race. That's the first thing. Take your Bible, look over the book of Matthew, chapter 25, verse 41. It, the Bible teaches us that, it was, that hell was prepared for the devil and his angels and not the human race. Not you and I, not anyone that we care about or love. <clears throat> Matthew 25, verse 41. Then shall he say also unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Now we understand that 
doctrinally he's dealing with Israel and the going into the uh, that millennium uh, before going into the millennium. Of course, we've got the goat and the uh, uh, you know the, the 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 sheep and the goat nations and all of that good stuff going on there. But nonetheless, he says here, "Depart from me, ye that cursed, ye cursed into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels." What we find is that <clears throat> that place that we're referring to then. That everlasting fire is not prepared for us specifically. It was prepared for the devil and his angels. Now, one could say angel meaning messenger. So therefore, it could have something to do with the devil and those messengers. And by the way, mankind at times can become a messenger of God. However, let's just assume, and I don't believe for one moment, that God intended man to go there. You say, why not? Well, look, if you would, at 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. <clears throat> And if God never intended for a man to go there, never wanted him to be there, I don't think he would have created it for that purpose. He did create it, though, because there was a devil who ultimately usurped his authority or sought to usurp his authority in heaven. And he said, i got to do something with him and those that followed him. By the way, you cannot cross a holy God. You cannot stand in opposition to a righteous Lord. You cannot allow yourself to fight or to be in rebellion against the God of the universe without believing somehow there'll be a consequence to pay. No matter how loving God is, He is also just. And as a result of the fact that He is just, He must also judge sin. Notice it says here in 2 Peter 3.9, The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us, word, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Addressing the human race, he says, I'm not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. I'm not of the persuasion that God created hell saying, you know what, I'm going to make sure man has a place to burn if he doesn't obey. I believe that God never intended for you and I to disobey. So even if he did create hell, which he did, he'd never created it with the idea, the thought, or even the possibility that you would go there. He just wanted to believe with all his heart, I believe, that you wouldn't want to go there and you would certainly want to obey him. I don't think any parent has a child and says in their heart, man, I just, I'm going to make sure I got a big long rod because I just can't wait to whack them good. No, we have the rod because we need it. But listen, here's the thing. We know the nature of man now. We understand the kind of choices he makes. We know that bound in the heart of a child is foolishness. And the rod of correction driveth it far from him. So we have the rod in the event that the child does that. But may I say, I never had my rod there looking forward to spanking my child. And I don't believe God ever created hell looking forward to punish mankind. He never intended it to be there for man. But instead for the devil and his angels. Number two, not only was hell prepared for the devil and his angels, not the human race, but two, who ends up in hell then? And you say, I already know all this. I know, but remember, his word will not return void. Okay, we need this. I promise you this. You know how I know that? Because there's not one of us that have passed out as many of these as we ought to. There's not one of us that has shared the gospel as much as we ought to. There's not any of us probably who have wept over the world, wept over souls, wept over our family, wept over people that have, have fasted the way we ought to over the lost. I think we can handle this. 
I think it won't return void. Who ends up in hell? Those whose names are not written or found in the book of life. Look at Revelation 20.15. We're told about a book and that book's going to be opened and there are names in that book. Revelation chapter 20 verse 15. I don't know about you, and unfortunately it seems that it's not the case in America, but I really don't like to discuss bad things all the time. Seems like that's all the world wants to do. But I'm not a real fan of that. So when I stand up here talking about a place called hell, let me tell you, I don't like doing this. Notice it says here in Revelation 20:15, And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. So whosoever was not found written in the book of life. And again, we could talk about the fact that people that don't, that reject Jesus Christ, folks that don't come to a saving knowledge of the Lord, people who don't, are born again, go to hell. I understand all that. Who goes there? The bottom line is this. If your name's not written in that book of life, you're not going. It's real simple. Now listen, we can go ahead and we can talk about somebody being a good man or a good woman. We can talk about them being a good mom and a good dad. And we can say, boy, that aunt, that's the best aunt I've ever had. She's so, she's so uh, good to me and she, she gives me the best presents at Christmas. And man, I like her the best and she's the nicest. And we can talk about a brother or sister who has always been there to defend us and care for us and take care of us. But let me tell you something. It doesn't matter how good they are. It doesn't matter how benevolent they are. It doesn't matter how kind they are. The bottom line is if their name's not written in the book of life, they're going to burn in hell. That's as simple as it is. So we can go ahead and pretend somehow that because they rate high on our personal scale of acceptance and love, therefore somehow they've got to be saved. They've got to have it together. They've got to be better than the average Joe. I mean, come on, I know Christians that aren't as nice and as kind as Aunt Zoe, so-and-so, or Uncle so-and-so, or Grandma so-and-so, or Mom or Dad. No, I, it doesn't matter. None of that matters. If their name's not written in the book of life, they're going to go to hell. They're further described. Look, if you will, in Revelation 21.8. Who goes to hell? Well, here we go. This is somewhat alarming, if you ask me. It says in Revelation 21.8, But the fearful and unbelieving, the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters, and all liars. Now, before we go any further, before somebody in the room somehow says, well, phew, bless God, that ain't me. Hold on a second. You ever been fearful? Let me ask you something. You ever been unbelieving? You say, well, I've never been abominable. Talk to your parents. I mean, if a snowman can be abominable... You certainly can. You'll see him, you know, the abominable snowman. Murderers. You say, I've never murdered. Oh, wait a second. Remember, if I'm not mistaken, the Bible says if you commit murder in your heart, you've committed murder. If you've ever thought it, you ever thought about it? You ever thought, man, I wish that person was dead. 
So I've never thought that. Okay. Sooner or later, you'll wish somebody was. Somebody hurt your family. Somebody harmed you. Somebody did something wrong. You're going to have to have amazing, supernatural grace to help you deal with forgiveness. You say, whoremongers? Mm. Yeah, we'll not go there. Sorcerers. I mean, okay, so we may not go doing, you know, different little chants and stuff or, you know, using certain... Well, we got people selling all these oils now, so I don't want to talk about those. But anyway, uh, doing all that stuff, you know. How many of you guys got those diffusers now and you let that, those oils fly up in your air at night and all that stuff because they make you feel so good? I do. My wife believes in them. I'm trying to get her to rub my feet with them. You're supposed to have all kind of neat little ends or something, like nerve endings or something at the bottom of your feet. And if you rub certain things on your feet, then it's supposed to affect, I don't know. That's what they tell me. Sounds good. You know, sounds good. I, I, I'm just hoping she'll do that. I'd just stick my foot right up there. <laughs> Have at it, baby. We'll see, though. See, she's in the nursery tonight. I can say all that stuff, you know. We'll see. By the way, I just pulled a hamstring. <clears throat> so anyway... <laughs> So anyway, we got idolaters and liars. I mean, let's face it, we've all been idolaters at some point. We've all been liars at some point. I'm just saying, as we look through the list, be careful before we in our, you know, self-righteousness say, well, praise God, bless God, that's not me. Yeah, well, if it isn't, praise God it isn't, but I guarantee it was. And it says that shall, these all shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. That's scary, you know. Who ends up in hell? Those whose names are not found written in the book of life and those who are described in Revelation 21.8 as being fearful, unbelieving, or the abominable murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Let's ask another question. How is hell described? Well, it's described a number of ways, obviously. But let me just give you a couple highlights. Number one, as destruction. As destruction. Look at Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10, verse 28. <clears throat> Probably, um, with the exception of knowing Christ for who he is, his attributes, um, his person. Probably outside of that knowledge, the knowledge of this place called hell is probably the greatest motivation in our life. And you've got to wonder, as you look around Christianity today, why we don't see any more spirit-filled believers, why we don't see more souls being saved, why we don't experience more revival within the context of the church, even, even if it's not within the context of the culture. Maybe it's because we really know nothing about this place called hell, and if we do know anything about it, it's all intellectual knowledge, not heart knowledge. You realize that if you want to be successful in anything you do in life, it begins here with this, the head. Then it moves to the heart, and then it goes to the hands. Most of us as believers are functioning out of intellect, knowledge, and then we do what we know. But we do not do what we feel. What we feel is lust. What we feel is the world. 
What we feel is self. What we want is what the world wants. But we know what we should want, so we do that. But it's never gotten from the head to the heart. And that's why our teenagers go off the deep end when they turn a certain age and they're no longer given the kind of leadership. By the way, just because your child turns 18 does not mean you lift your hand of protection and care off of them. As a matter of fact, you need to be more involved in their life then probably than you ever have been. This is the biggest joke in the world. Well, they're 18. They got to fend for themselves. You're out of your mind. You're out of your mind. If you all of a sudden say, well, now they're 18, so uh, what can I, I can't tell them when they can come in. They're 18. I can't tell them who, they can, who the friends can be. They're 18. I can't tell them. Amen. They're living in your home. You make sure you continue to keep them under the, right there. I promise you they need it. But anyway, that's why they go off the deep end. You want to know why? Because they've had it up here their whole life. You brought them to church all the time. They've been doing it. You go, I don't get it. They're so faithful. I don't get it. They're serving the Lord. I don't get it. They go so I don't get it. They've taught Sunday school. I don't get it. You know what? They never got it. That's the problem. Sadly enough, we don't always get it. I mean, we know we don't feel. And I understand you say, well, I thought you said we can't function on feeling. No, but there ought to be something that drives you to conviction, that causes you to say, man, I will not let down on this. It is not just something I know. It's something I know. It's here. It's not an intellectual ascent. It's a literal ascent to a heart ascent. Man, that's why many people that profess Christ aren't really doing the things they're supposed to do because it's been here and they've tried to, and, and, and it's not here. If the tilt hits here, guess where your name's not? Up there. How's hell described? It says destruction, it says. Matthew ten twenty eight, you're there, I believe. And fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Destruction. Destruction. There's nothing, nothing good about destruction unless you're going to do an overhaul. I mean, unless you're going to destroy it so that you can build it back up in a sense. But if you destroy it, it's really gone. Something in its place goes in its place, really. If I destroy my bicycle, I'm going to have to replace it. If I destroy my house, and I'm not just talking about I gut a room. I'm talking about if I destroy the house, it's gone. I need a new one. See, the devil's not interested in just ripping a piece or a part of you out of your life. He wants to destroy you. He wants to consume you. Destruction. Second Thessalonians 1.9 says, Who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power? Destruction. That's how it's described. Hell is described as destruction. Number two, as a lake of fire. Again, one that we've been already using, this phrase we've been using already. It says in Revelation 20.10, And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are, and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. It's called a lake of fire. Now, how many of you have... You don't, don't, you don't have to answer, really, but I mean, in your minds. How many of you have ever uh, been out to the lake? And everybody's been to the lake. 
How many of you have ever been on a boat or on some kind of floating dock or off a diving board at the lake and you jumped and you splashed in the water? Probably most of you, if not all of you. Did you get wet? Of course you got wet. I mean, as soon as you hit the water, before you knew it, you were totally and completely consumed and saturated by the water. It totally just covered you. There wasn't a part of you uncovered with water. When you cast yourself into that lake of water. Do you get the picture here? This is not like there's a few flames and you landed in on a couple of the brim, you know, little little burning areas and stuff, and you had to kick some of the, you know, kick away some of the fire and find a little cooler place. That's not the picture of the lake of fire. It's not singed earth and you just kind of land onto it, and if you're not careful, you roll onto something really hot and oh, that's hot, and you get off of it. No, this is being literally cast into a lake of Fire, which means the moment you enter it, you are consumed with it. It will totally saturate your body from head to toe. What happens to water when you jump into water? You cast yourself into a lake and you don't come out of the lake. What will eventually happen? You'll breathe the water in and you will be destroyed. You will not only be cast into a lake of fire, but and not only will it consume your exterior body, but you will breathe it in, you will drink it in, and it will destroy you from the inside, outside, and everything else. And if your body could be consumed, it would be consumed in the flame, but it will never be consumed. That's a horrible image. To wake up in a flame of fire, a lake of fire. Can't even imagine that. Think about these beautiful little babies that are being born. Do you realize that they are engulfed and they are consumed in an embryonic sack? They come out of the, the womb and they have to cough it out. <laughs> Birth by water. But when you die without Christ, it will be a lake of fire, not water. It's a horrible thought. Horrible thought. Someone says, why would you share that? Because the Bible shares it. And His Word won't return void. There's a reason for it in the Word of God. And He wants it to do something in our hearts and our lives. He wants us to be uncomfortable and He wants us to feel it because there's too many depending on us feeling it. Understanding it. Confronted with it. He wants that. It's a furnace of fire, it says. A furnace. Matthew 13, 50. And shall cast them into the furnace of fire. There shall be weeping and gnash... Excuse me. There shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth in Matthew 13, 50. And shall cast them into the furnace of fire. What an amazing story it is. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they fired that thing up so much that even the gentlemen that threw them in, they burned up, right? Died. They're in the midst of that fire, and here's Jesus Christ, you know. They're not consumed in the least. Matter of fact, they get out, they don't even smell like fire. 
Not one singed hair, not one nose hair burnt. The older you get, gentlemen, you'll get to deal with all that. It's terrible. If you start losing it here and you gain it here and here and here, it's the worst, man. I'm telling you, it's the worst. So anyway, a furnace of fire. That's a terrible picture again. They escaped it because Jesus was there. But Jesus is not in the lake of fire. A furnace of fire. Not only that, but it's described as unbearable torment. Look at Revelation 14.11. Revelation 14.11. We're not far from being done. We're almost done. Revelation 14.11. It says, And the smoke of their torment ascended up forever and ever, and they have no rest day nor night. That's amazing, isn't it? That, I mean, the, the smoke of their torment ascended up forever and ever, and they have no rest day nor night. There were, there were nights I'd go home from this place, working all day and into the evenings, and I'd go home, and I'd be hurting so bad. And it, it seemed like it happened a lot more than I wish it would have. I, I told myself it'd be one month in and I'd be fine. It never ended for me. I don't know what it was. I don't know if it's my age or just me, but I'd go home hurting so bad that I just could hardly get out of my car and I'd walk like this inside the door of my house because my feet hurt so bad, my back was in pain, and I'd have to crawl into the shower and then I would bend over in the shower and let the water hit my back. And I couldn't wait sit down just sit down there'll be no sitting there no break no matter how painful it is no matter how uncomfortable it is no matter what the circumstance is there's no rest at all it's just torment it's unbearable torment not only that but it's described as everlasting. Everlasting. Matthew, I'll just read it, and then I want to share something that Charles Spurgeon said, but Matthew twenty-five forty-six says, And these shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into life eternal. Charles Haddon Spurgeon made the statement, he said, quote, In hell there is no hope. If not even the hope of dying... The hope of being annihilated, they are forever, forever, forever lost. On every chain in hell, there is written forever. In the flame, in the fires there, blaze out the words forever. Above their heads they read forever. Their eyes are galled and their hearts are pained with the thought that it is forever. Oh, if one could tell you tonight that hell would one day be burned out, and that those who were lost might be saved, there would be jubilee in hell at the very thought of it. But it cannot be. It is forever that they are cast into outer darkness. Forever.
I stand amazed thinking about my life and how many times in my life I thought this thought. I don't, I don't want to talk to them right now about hell because that'd make them really uncomfortable. I don't, want to, I don't want to bring up the issue of salvation right now, especially if there's a family member around, because I don't want to make them feel uncomfortable. I mean, they're dying, and I don't want them to think that I'm... What? Think what? Hey, wait a second. This is forever, though. You say they're, they might be uncomfortable, or they, they might get upset. Yeah, I'm going to tell you something. I really believe this with all my heart. I don't think I'll be in heaven one day and regret one time that I made somebody a little uncomfortable hearing the gospel in order to keep them from an eternity of torment. I don't think so. And I understand. So I said, well, you've got to be careful. Yeah, well, I know that. But let me tell you something. In most cases, the thing holding us back is not the Holy Spirit, but our own personal fear. I'm just saying, forever. It's everlasting. So as we look at it, we recognize this. Hell's described as destruction, as a lake of fire, a furnace of fire, unbearable torment, and as everlasting. And so, number four, what advice is given concerning hell then? <laughs> you know what it is. Avoid hell at any cost. Avoid hell at any cost. Matthew 9, 43 and 44 says, If thy hand offend thee, cut it off. It's better for thee to enter into life maimed than having two hands and go into hell, into the fire that is never that never shall be quenched, where their worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. He goes on to talk about your 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 you know entering into hell with with you know a foot or a hand or whatever it might be. It doesn't matter. There's not one thing that's worth going to hell for. Mark 8, 35 and 37 just says, For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, but whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospels, the same shall save it. For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? What shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Hell. A word that's only used today in our world as a cuss word. Rarely spoken of from a pulpit. Not often spoken of at work or anywhere else in life. And yet it is as real as the place we sit tonight. And there are people that are going to spend an eternity there. And sadly enough, people that you and I love. But we don't want to inconvenience them. We don't want to make them feel uncomfortable. We don't want to confront them because we're concerned of how will they will take it. Will they be offended? The question I have for you is this. Is there any price too great to spare them from hell? Because hell is real and it is eternal. And they will be consumed in a lake of fire. No matter how good they are or how godly they seem, if they do not have their name written in the Lamb's book of life, if they have not received the Spirit and walk in the Spirit, then they are lost without hope. May God help us to re believe what the Bible teaches about hell.
Father, we come to you.